Hey, we are going to do things just a little bit differently this morning. So first off, welcome. Uh, I'm seeing a few faces that I, we typically see at the 9 a.m. service, which means some of you overslept this morning, and I don't blame you. Uh, actually, where we came from in Casper, they got blessed with this like really, really big snowstorm last night, and so they didn't have church this morning, so they all got to sleep in. But would you pray with us this morning uh, before we jump in and do things a little bit different? God, thank you uh, for bringing us here. Thank you for giving us weather that we can travel and we can travel safely. Lord, we thank you for um, having the opportunity to get a little bit extra sleep and still be able to, to be together as your people. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, if you want to grab a quick seat real quick, like I said, things are going to look a little bit different this morning. I'm going to explain why that is here in just a little bit. But over the course of the past two weeks, we've been walking through a journey that we've, been, that we've titled Superheroes Can't Save You. And we've been looking at this idea as to why different superheroes actually wouldn't be able to truly save us from ourselves, but instead we have a Savior who can do that. And we've just been looking at some different ideas about who he is and what uh, people believe that he is and who they believe that he is. And, you know, we've, uh, we've explained a word behind this when we have an idea about who Jesus is that it's not quite there or maybe it's not even close to being there. That does happen sometimes if we're being honest with ourselves. But this word that we've been looking at is heresy. Heresy is basically a bad idea about Jesus, and there are a lot of them out there, and we carry some of those. I carry some of those. But we don't want to just say, well, it doesn't matter what we believe about him, because we believe that it actually does. And so we want to make sure that we are looking at him, and we are, we are looking at the true Jesus, not the one that we have formed inside our heads with our narrative. So the first week of this, we looked at what we titled the Superman heresy, which actually goes by the name of docetism, which is the idea that Jesus was fully God, but he wasn't at all human. And we looked at what kind of implications that has on our lives if that were true. We looked at how the gospel falls apart if this happens, because sin was committed by man, it was com committed by humans, and therefore needed a human to intercede on our behalf. Then the next week, last week, we looked at the idea of what we titled the Batman heresy, and we looked at you know, the comparisons between Batman and this idea of liberalism, that Jesus, and not the political liberalism, we're just throwing that out there again in case you weren't here last week or you haven't watched last week, don't want you to think that's what we're talking about here, uh, but this idea that Jesus was fully man, but he was just an incredible human and that was it, and when he died, that was it. We can take apart the teachings that he has and we can use the good things, we can throw out the bad things, because if he's not God, then we really don't have to adhere to everything that he said. And so the gospel, again, begins to fall apart. And how we live and how he instructs us begins to fall apart. Well, this morning, as confusing as those ideas can be that he was fully man and he was fully human, personally, and based on conversations that I've had with people over the years, I don't think they even compare in the confusion category as to where we're going to go this morning. But to explain a little bit of where we're going this morning, we're going to look at our third superhero who goes by the name of Ant-Man in the comic books. Now, as I've talked with people, there I don't know how many people are, you know, Courtney included and uh, other individuals that I've talked to who are like, I don't even know who Ant-Man is in the first place because he's just not a real well-known one. Now, I'm a little bit 
upset about that because in the new Marvel movies, Ant-Man is played by a Kansas City Royals fan. And that is in and of itself enough reason to know who Ant-Man is. Because anybody who is committed enough to a team to cheer for them, for the Royals, like this man has, deserves to be known. And his character deserves to be known. But because I know a lot of people don't know who Ant-Man is, Ant-Man, the original, not the, now we've got to disconnect ourselves from the newest Marvel movies. Ant-Man was actually started by the old guy in the Marvel movies, a guy by the name of Hank Pym. Now, Hank Pym, is a, he's a biophysicist and weapons expert who is just, a, the boil it all down, incredibly intelligent. And he can find things that other people miss. And so he finds, in the midst of his scientific discoveries, these little teeny tiny particles that can actually transform the size of an individual or an object. So they could take something really, really big and they could shrink it small. Or he eventually finds out they can take something really small and make it really big. So he decides, because this is what everybody would do, I'm going to test out these particles on myself. Now these particles, that because he found them, he, called, he named the PIM particles. Modesty all over the place right there. But he, he takes these PIM particles and he puts them in a suit and he shrinks himself down to the size of an ant. And as he's in the comic books, as he's in the size of this ant for the first time, he actually finds himself in an ant colony, and apparently the ants are not very friendly. But there is one super compassionate and empathetic ant that takes care of him and makes sure that he gets out safe. And so he now describes this persona of himself as Ant-Man. Now Ant-Man, tiny though he may be, shows that Little things or big things can come in little packages because Ant-Man, the size of an ant, still has the strength of a full-grown human, but it takes all of that strength that would come from someone our size and condenses it down to this teeny tiny area. So you get hit with all of the strength of a full-grown human being, but it all gets centered on one little spot of you when it hits you, which feels as if it completely increases the power of this punch or the power of this kick or the, you know, the, the power of this attack. Now, again, he found out that he could also take these particles and he could make himself giant. And so in all of his creativity, apparently he used all his creativity naming the particles after himself. In all of his creativity, he names this person Giant Man. And giant man doesn't have to have a lot of power in his punch because he can just step on you and squash you like a bug. Not like an ant, because have you ever tried to squash an ant? It's impossible to step on those things and kill them. They just, I don't know what it is. But we have Hank Pym, who is himself. We have Hank Pym, who can put on a suit and become Ant-Man. And we have Hank Pym, who can put on a suit and become Giant Man. And then you really get into it, and this goes beyond my knowledge about Ant-Man, but he can actually put on something different and become the wasp, and he can fly around, and he's got wings, and it's, whoo, it starts getting as if it was all realistic up to this point. But that's, the, that's kind of the idea that people begin to adopt about God, is that God is, you know, this one being who kind of puts on different costumes in order to do different things. And so as we look at Jesus, Jesus was simply one of the costumes that God wears. Over the course of this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look and we're going to see as to why that doesn't capture this idea that we in the church 
have titled the Trinity. You know, maybe, maybe you've heard that word used, maybe you haven't. By the time this morning is over, you will have heard it used several times. What does this mean that God is actually three, but one all at the same time? But before we do that, and as we do that, we're going to take some time and we're going to recognize the different members of the Trinity in and of themselves. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we, uh, as we spend some time this morning before we continue on recognizing that God is the Father. So would you please stand with us and sing? So I know that in this idea of the Trinity, and as we try to explain this and as we try to understand this, there have been over the years many different analogies that have come up. Now, the, uh, the idea that, that we're kind of discussing this morning, this idea of the costumes being worn, actually comes from an idea called modalism. If you're wanting to keep track of those, those ideas that we're talking about with docetism and liberalism, well, this morning's idea, you can use Ant-Man, and you're probably going to get some people to talk with you a little bit easier maybe the the average person but if you're talking to the theology professor then modalism will probably be that thing that connects with them and it's this idea that that Jesus is one of the costumes that God wears just like Hank Pym puts on a costume and he becomes Ant-Man well he can put on a costume and he can become giant man but the issue with that is that he cannot be Ant-Man and giant man and just regular everyday Joe Hank Pym at the same time. You've probably also heard of some other analogies, and to explain some of those analogies and to talk through them, I actually asked my favorite scientist to spend some time with us this morning and walk through these with us. Now, when I say my favorite scientist, I don't mean that she actually has a degree in any kind of scientific field, but when we were doing online church back in Casper before we moved out here, my wife became the science teacher for the online kids teaching portion. So we, in our, in our living room, I would film her and she'd have her goggles on and she'd have her lab coat on and she'd do these, uh, these lessons for the kids online and, and we had fun just putting these videos together and she was making things blow up in our house and all that kind of stuff and, and I got to witness the, it's not working, until it finally would get to the point that it did work and, and now on Wednesday nights for MC Kids, She's also able to step in and she takes them through some science lessons to point to Jesus and to point to God and his evidence. And so I asked her if she would spend some time with us this morning and just walk us through some of these analogies that perhaps you've heard to discuss Jesus and to discuss the Trinity in particular. But she was not willing to actually come up here on the platform and do it. So would you please turn your attention to the screen? So as we tackle this idea of the Trinity, there have been a few analogies over the years that have been used to try to compare what the Trinity is in order to help people understand this idea of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, because it is a very, it's a very hard thing to understand. So one of those analogies is that of H2O. And it's been said that you can use H2O and you can break it apart and you can say, well, you have God the Father, which is represented by ice. You have God the Son, which is represented as your liquid form, and you have the Holy Spirit, which would be represented by the sea, and that they are all one thing in H2O. And that's a cute thing to think about at first, but then really when you dive into it, it, it falls apart. They can't all be the same thing at one time, and they don't all serve the same purposes. 
So when you can't take steam, you're not going to run a race and try to drink steam and have it quench your thirst. That's not going to work. You're not going to make your iced tea cool by pouring a bottle of lukewarm water into it. They don't have the attributes of one another. They're not going to do the same thing, which fails because the Trinity is. They are all the same thing at the same time. But then there's the egg analogy, which, if I'm being honest, over time, I have used this to talk about the Trinity when it comes to my own children. Because at first glance, you think about it, and you think, yeah, that's, that's something that has three parts that seems whole. And you have the shell of the egg. You have the yolk. You have the whites. And at first you think, okay, sure, there are three things that have that coming together and that can explain the Trinity. But really when you break it apart, it's not that simple. They don't really share attributes. I mean, back in college, I just, I'm not gonna take the shells of an egg and rub it all over my face. That's an attribute they don't share. Well, if you've ever baked brownies before, and you've got some of your shell in your brownie, you don't wanna eat that shell. In fact, you pick that shell out of your brownie and you throw it away. You can't take the Trinity and you can't pick God the Father out of it and toss him aside. That's just not how it works. That is what you can do with the egg. That is why these analogies fall short when it comes to talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You, you can't take... God the Father, and take him out of the Trinity and still have God. You can't take the Son out of the Trinity and still have God. You can't take the Holy Spirit out of the Trinity and still have God. So many times we try to, in our trying to grasp things, we begin to look at them as, well, you can remove them apart from each other. And while they are three separate, they are also one in the sense that if you look at it just, you look at scripture and you see what the, the Jewish people would have believed. They believed in a monotheistic God. They would have been up in arms if all of a sudden we were saying there are three gods that you're supposed to worship. But there is one God that cannot be separated. One God that, unlike the egg, shares the attributes. The Holy Spirit shares the attributes with the Father. There's not this, you know, the Holy Spirit is merciful and kind and loving, and then you have the Father who's like this, boom, I'm just going to strike everybody dead. They share the attributes with one another, and you can't separate those away from each other. It's difficult to understand. That's why I love in the book that we're going through in our study groups right now, I love how Todd Miles just kind of throws it out there. He's like, yep, it's hard to understand, and people will say, it gives me a headache. Take an Advil, because this stuff matters, because it matters to know who God is. And I probably love that he says that because I love sarcasm and it's a very sarcastic statement that he makes there. But we do, we, we have to take the time to begin to understand who he is. And on top of that, people will begin to, when we start looking at things in the, you know, the form of the, in the H2O or we look at things in the form of the egg, it's easy to begin to rank God at that point. And it's easy to begin to look at him as, okay, the Father is here, and the Son is here, and the Holy Spirit is kind of that weird, like, you know, wimpy little brother that nobody really understands, and he's all emotional and stuff. Like, he's just the one that, that when we start crying in church, we say the Holy Spirit was present. So that's really who he is. And, and we're not going to take the time to understand him, but we know God the Father, and we know God the Son, and, you know, God the Father is more important because in John three sixteen, that scripture that we memorized when we were young, it says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. 
And so it would sound as if there is a hierarchy within the Godhead, within the Trinity. But as we're going to continue to discover this week, and as we're going to continue to discover next week, that's not how he describes himself. But for the next few moments, because I know that, you know, this is one of those topics, again, that is just, it's hard to grasp. So we're going to break this up, and we're going to spend some time on this. And what I would invite you to do, if you would like to stand, stand. If you would like to sit, sit. And we're going to spend some time, and we are going to recognize not the second most important part of the Trinity, because there is no ranking in here. But we're going to spend some time and recognize, because we just, you have to list them, you can't just say them all in one word. The second part of the Trinity, which is the Son, which is Jesus Christ. So hopefully, breaking it up a little bit like this this morning also helps with the fact that you might have gotten a little bit less sleep last night. So you don't have to sit in one spot for quite as long. You get to stand up, stretch out, and worship. Also, hopefully, all of this is worship, and it's not just the music. But as we look through Scripture, and as we go into it sometimes with this idea of God, you know, Jesus is one of the three costumes of God. We have to ask ourselves, does this line up with what it is that we have in front of us that tells us who he is and who he was? And I believe that as you look at the evidence that's in Scripture, we begin to see that he could not have been just one of three costumes. He could not have been just a temporary, you know, personification of, Jesus, of God, that Jesus was a part of the Trinity. They are all equal, they are all one, but they are also all separate, and the Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit, and I know, there we go. But as we look at scripture, there's a story where we run into this moment where Jesus is being baptized, by his, by his cousin actually, by John the Baptist. And he goes to John the Baptist, and he goes through water baptism. And John puts him under the water, and one of these days we're going to take some time and we're going to talk about the significance of the act itself, but that's a conversation for a different day at a different time. Right now what we're looking at is as he comes out of the water, as we read through scripture, we actually see that there is a voice from heaven, it's from the skies, whatever translation you're reading, it may say different things, but this voice says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so in that moment, either Jesus is an incredible ventriloquist that can make his voice just project all over the countryside so that everybody can hear this, or it doesn't add up that Jesus was just a costume worn by God and that sometimes he's the Father and sometimes he's the Son and sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. To make it even more evident in this moment, we read that a dove descends, that the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. And so in this moment, either Jesus is an incredible ventriloquist who can also call animals at the perfect moment to land, or there is something else going on here. And this idea that Jesus was just a costume that God wore falls apart. Or perhaps we want to look at this other moment where Jesus is in a garden and he knows that he's about to be arrested and he knows that he's about to be 
uh, tortured, and he's about to be crucified on a cross in the most agonizing way. And in this moment, he's in this garden, and he is crying out to somebody that he's calling the father that I don't think was Joseph, his earthly dad. And he's calling out to them, if there is any other way that we can do this, let's do that instead. Jesus was not simply in that moment a costume of God calling out to himself. But instead he is calling out to the Father while he is at the very same time the Son. Ant-Man Jesus can't be Ant-Man and Giant-Man and the Wasp and Hank Pym all at the very same time. Or perhaps we want to look at another story where it actually says that Jesus is led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. And as he's in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, he eats nothing and he drinks nothing. And he's tempted by Satan while he's out there. And through the strength that the Holy Spirit gives him, he's able to withstand what's going on. If he's just a costume and the Spirit is also a costume, then how are they both present at the same moment? And so we begin to see as we look through Scripture this idea that Jesus was simply a costume that God wore for a while. He was just, for 33 years, God was this man who walked around. It begins to fall apart. What does this mean for us? Like, it's, it's real fun to deconstruct all of these different ideas because that's actually kind of the easy part, to deconstruct all these thoughts. But the harder part is to sit there and look at why does this matter? Well, to find that answer, at least as far as what you're going to hear out of my mouth, that is hopefully the Spirit who is speaking through me. It is God who is speaking through me. And not just, this, these are Justin's opinions that he's taking from a guy named Todd Miles and kind of working together with him and we're going to throw some stuff at you. But to find that answer, you're going to have to come back next week. This is like that teaser at the end of every Marvel movie where you start to see some of the credits roll and then they have this little piece in there that's like, oh, so that's what's coming in the movie to come next. Next week, we're going to spend some time and we're going to look at what, why does it matter, what is it, what does it do for us as far as how we pray? What does it do for us as far as who we believe God is? What does it do for us as far as who we worship? What are the roles of these members of the Trinity? How does this work that they are one but separate all at the same time? This is a lot. And that, for that very reason, as I was talking to an individual, a very wise individual over the course of this past week, and we were getting ready to, to prepare for this morning, he asked the question, this is going to be two weeks, right? Because there is a lot to unpack here. And at that point, I told him, no, like, we're just going for it. This is going to be a one-week thing. And over the course of time since then, realized this is going to be a two-week thing. But that doesn't mean you get out of here without a challenge of any kind. And without a, this is what it means for my life of any kind. Because what I would challenge you to do this week is don't be that individual that just says, it's too hard to comprehend, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to continue to use the bad analogies that I've always used because it's just easier. 
Because we don't want to be the people, or at least I don't want to be the person, and I don't want you to be the people that are walking around telling people about a God that doesn't exist. But we want to tell people about a God who does. And are we ever going to fully comprehend? Absolutely not. That's one of the great things is that we will never fully comprehend. But that is not an excuse for us to be lazy. So my challenge to you is to spend some time this week and dig into your scriptures and just pray, God, show me who you are. Show me how this works. God, explain this to me so that I can better represent you and I can better understand you, knowing I'm not going to fully understand it, but so that I can better understand. My challenge to you this week is to not just be lazy, but to take this and wrestle with this and chew on this. And while we're gonna talk about this more next week, one of the beautiful things about God is that he doesn't tell us you just gotta figure it out on your own. But instead, he told us that he was leaving us with a comforter. He was leaving us with a guide. He was leaving us with his spirit. And we have that spirit that we are able to rely on, that we are able to call on. And so this week, you call on him. And I would also invite you to stand or sit. It's up to you. As for the next few moments, we worship the spirit. Would you please stand with us? Or sit if you want to.